The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 136. One day, I shall come back. And that's it. I've been renewed. As when a time lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a time lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave hearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position us. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hell. Scottish. Howdy all, Father Corey Stika here. Uh, different voice, obviously, to start out this uh, this episode. I've taken controls of the TARDIS from Dom. He's off enjoying, a uh, hopefully, a great uh, vacation, very much needed vacation. But I'm not alone. Uh, Jimmy Aiken is also here with me again. How's it going, Jimmy? It's going okay. The companions have taken over the TARDIS this episode. Exactly. Yeah, both both in this episode of Secrets of Doctor Who and in the episode of Doctor Who we're going to talk about, they're going to take over for a little bit, much to the Doctor's chagrin, I think. He wasn't too happy about that. <laughs> but we're, we're talking about the episode The Visitation. This is a fifth Doctor serial This uh, from uh, Peter Davison's time. It's a season 19 serial four. So we're still in the first season of Peter Davison. It was a four-part serial, kind of right in the middle of the, the season. It aired from uh, February 15th to the 23rd in 1982. It's kind of funny watching this episode um, because, of course, I remember watching Peter Davison as a kid, and I always thought of him as kind of the, the quiet and the kind doctor. You know, he had Tom Baker, the fourth doctor, who was very bombastic and could get kind of harsh and a little aggressive. And but also whimsical. Whimsical, yeah. But the fifth doctor was kind of the quieter, you know, maybe put out a little bit of a snarky comment, but he was still kind of quiet and kind. He wasn't in this episode at all. Yeah, in this in this story, he's really channeling his inner William Hartnell. I mean, yeah, I I thought to myself, and I have it in my notes that, um, wow, he's like delib. I wonder is he deliberately doing William Hartnell in some of this? He yeah. he, he sounds a lot like the first Doctor, and displays some of that same grumpiness. Yeah, he was he was very uh almost abusive at points to both Adric and Tegan. I think uh, Nis is the only one that really kind of got away with not having that turned on her, or at least she was willing to give it right back, I think, more than anything else. Yeah, and, and that's something, incidentally, that Peter Davison has commented on, That, uh, and I don't know that this was in the writer's minds at the time, but uh, Peter Davison has commented that Nyssa, of all the companions he had, was the one that he thought was most on his doctor's wavelength. Mm -hmm. Oh, very much so. Um, so, and you see that very much in this uh, episode. Of course, the companions are Tegan, Nissa, and Adric. This is, we still have the three companions for a couple more serials anyways. And yeah, not, not for too much longer for Adric, though. No, no. He's going to have a little bit of an oops at some point soon. Um, <laughs> I like that way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> little curse of the fatal oops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then, of course, this episode, interestingly, this is probably one of the few serials, at least of this period of Doctor Who, where it falls right after the previous one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so it, it's right after Kinda, where Tegan had her mind controlled and she reflects on that, where she was controlled by this snake, alien, being, Buddhist whatever thing. it was. 
Yeah. And uh, it, it's it, it's interesting because usually during this time frame, early in early in Doctor Who, you know, the first first few seasons, first couple of Doctors, there were points where it would just go from one to the next to the next to the next. This now there's more gap. There's it, the, by this time they're doing more gap between them. And that's where a lot of the, the audio dramas and the books and so on kind of fit in. Yeah, but not this time. Uh, Tegan even talks to Nyssa about the fact that she was basically unconscious for most of the previous adventure. Yeah. Uh, she got 48 hours of rest while they had this exciting, weird thing happen to them. Yep. If you want to hear about that one, you can go back a couple epi- episodes of Secrets of Doctor Who and we talk all about it. I had fun talking about it. Yeah. I found it interesting. This so they titled this "The Visitation," and mm-hmm. that's a very nondescript title. I mean, yeah. oftentimes we have titles that tell us something about the episode, like "Tomb of the Cybermen," so you know the Cybermen exactly. are going to be involved, or "Genesis of the Daleks," so you know it's going to be about the Genesis of the Daleks. But mm-hmm. here we have "The Visitation," and that sounds like even I don't know a vaguely supernatural thing exactly but there's nothing supernatural about this it's about teraleptals this ought to be called like attack of the teraleptals or something <laughs> yeah and that's it yeah i guess you could think of just you know the idea of the the, the comet quote-unquote being you know the spaceship burning up and the android and stuff like you know a visitation of something that is by the standards of 17th century england supernatural but really isn't yeah. as we understand it now yeah and, so this is as you indicate, this is set in the 1600s in yep. England. And we, we, we actually get the exact date towards the uh, end of the episode. At the very end right. of the episode, we find out exactly when it happened because of a major event that we'll get to in a little bit when we yeah. get to that point. But we open but, up in this, uh, this manor house, this you know, oak panel, man, you know, beautiful manor house and with a pretty dysfunctional family, actually. Yeah, we get to see what what people had to do to keep themselves occupied in the evenings before the internet and they before mm-hmm. people could just look at their phones all evening. Yeah. Yeah, you got the the fathers sitting there drunk and dozing off in front of the fireplace, the sons working on it cleaning his guns and he's he's pretty upset and the daughter was watching fireworks. Of course, I don't know if she knows what fireworks were at that time, but she's yeah. watching something in the sky that's got her pretty Pretty interested, and, and the put upon serving man is doing put upon service. Yep, yeah, it, it's it, there's some there's some pretty good stereotypes in this one, um, but but I'll, we know as they say, strange lights in the sky never bode well for the future. So those fireworks turn out to be something much more sinister and terrorleptily. Yeah. yeah, and they don't have to wait very long because all of a sudden the the serving man is is, is killed by an energy beam, and there's a flintlock versus energy beam battle and. I, I love it how the the son immediately says once they realize that the the serving man has been killed by an energy weapon, uh, he tells his father that there's that something is in the house and has just used a gun of a sort I've never seen. And right. it's like, yes, he immediately figures out a, a laser weapon is a type of a gun. That's it great. Still, I like yeah, that. exactly. It, it's like you know, take the weapon you're using and move it ahead about you know three hundred, four hundred years. You yeah. know, but. It reminded me, and several things in this episode reminded me kind of of the way Jamie just rolls with advanced mm-hmm. technology. And we have later, we're going to meet an actor who is, has become a highwayman. And he, again, just dealing with the doctor and all the techno babble that accompanies the doctor, he just kind of rolls with it. Yeah, he's just like, I don't understand what you're saying, but okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, but we, uh, right off the bat, we get one of the teraleptals die, although we don't actually see it. We just hear it scream and hit the ground. 
Yeah, this is another thing I really liked. They shoot back at the Terraleptal with a flintlock, and and they heard it. It's like, yeah. yay, for once, the aliens are not immune to bullets. Yeah, the, the Brigadier would be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, then we get to see the robot that the Terraleptals have, and it looks absolutely ridiculous. It's it garish, looks like very garish. Yeah, it looks like some kind of robot dressed up as a Harlequin with jewels on it. It's just, yeah. really? Yeah, you wonder what they were thinking. Of course, this was the early 80s, so Garish is the the story of the day then. Um, Meanwhile, we flash into the the TARDIS. Oh, by the way, the the android does end up killing the family, we find out later. Uh, But we we flash over into the TARDIS. Adric and the doctor are arguing, which is like, okay, so it's Tuesday, in other words. Uh, That's pretty normal. Uh, mm-hmm. Nissa and Tegan are getting ready because Tegan's finally going to be leaving the TARDIS. She's been wanting to get home and she thinks she's going to get home. But of course, this is the TARDIS. Yeah, uh, the t- she's going to be here a lot longer than she thinks. Yeah. And the, the TARDIS gets to the right place. It mm-hmm. is Heathrow. Yep. About 300 years too early, we find out from Adric. Uh, yeah. she, uh, needless to say, Tegan's very upset. She uh, has some rather nasty words for the doctor and runs out. Yeah. I, which is a little counterproductive to her interests. It's like, push that button again, is what yeah. she ought to be saying. Instead, she leaves the TARDIS, so she can't get back to her own time mm-hmm. for a while by her own choice. She's just gotten out of the time machine. Well, she's so distraught, apparently, that she just wasn't thinking like that. Yeah. By the way, one thing I really like about this episode that's also unusual for this time, although it's kind of characteristic of Peter Davison's time, we get to see more of the TARDIS than just yes. the control room. So, like, we get to see Tegan or Nissa's bedroom in this. Yep. Um, and so that's nice. I like being mm-hmm. able to see extra parts of the TARDIS. Yeah, it, it is interesting because I know during the first Doctor, William Hartnell, we got to see quite a bit of the TARDIS. You know, there were yeah. quite a few other sets. And then it they really kind of stopped showing the inside of the TARDIS other than the console room uh, mm-hmm. until well, about... Well, towards the end of tom baker's era really yeah and then we had the one episode the one story that was a big romp through the tardis that looked exactly mm-hmm. like a disused hospital exactly exactly so they uh they, they, they're they're trying to show more of the tardis and I, I suppose it makes sense if they can if they have the sets to use them you know that's cheaper yeah. that way um so yeah we did get definitely get to see a little bit of the tardis uh in here well so of course you know doctor and everybody follows tegan out and they they, they smell a sulfur smell, sulfur burning, which, mm-hmm. you know, if you've ever smelt that, that's a very distinctive smell. It smells like gunpowder or rotten eggs. Yep. Or gunpowder smells like sulfur. One of the two. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, we immediately get TARDIS separation because they forget where they parked the TARDIS for a while. <laughs> yeah, no. They apparently took a really circuitous route through the woods or something, because otherwise you could just go straight back you know, along the path yeah. you took. Well, yeah, well. And of course, then there, you know, there's the the villagers who are burning something with that where we have that sulfur. They they attack them immediately, so the they they run off and and uh, get the lost doc- basically. And the, and the doctor flips a guy. Yeah, I mean, flips him over. Does it does a little Venusian Aikido or something on him? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Peter Davison's definitely a more uh, physical doctor than maybe some of them we've had in the past. But uh, yeah, as we also. We also oh, later find out the reason they're burning the sulfur is it's purification fires because they think there's a plague right. on. And so they're they're trying to do this as a ineffective medical 
procedure to protect people from the plague. This was still a time, too, when they did leeches for a lot of ailments, so you can understand completely. Yeah, Uh, but it. But leeches actually have medical uses, but not as many as they thought. No, no, they they used it for about everything. Yeah, um, surprisingly, maggots do too. Oof. I, yeah, I don't know if I'd want that, but <laughs> I, I know. But you, people don't know it, but pharmacies actually tend to stock uh, sanitized sterile maggots because they actually are used in certain procedures. Well, that's right for like cleaning wounds and things. Cleaning like that. wounds, yeah, exactly. They're very good that's at right. that. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, well, as as they're running away from the villagers, they run into. Richard Mace, a thespian turned highway robber. Yeah. <laughs> so he really is a courtly highwayman. Oh, uh, he's, he's got this whole thespian shtick that yeah. he's doing. He's very gentlemanly and literate and everything, but perfectly happy to take your money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll take anything that's not nailed down and even maybe a few things that are in the process of this episode. He, uh, he's, he's quite the, quite the character. I, I kind of enjoyed him. Um, yeah. But, uh, they, uh, he takes him over to the barn where he's uh, basically holing up, where he, he's hiding out. And, and he, uh, he explains to them that the plague that everyone is worried about is strangely, uh, it came after the comet. So mm-hmm. it's associated with that. So I know this is some kind of alien thing. And it is uh, more intense in the countryside than the city, which right. is the opposite of what plagues normally do. Correct. Correct. They usually... You're usually in more concentrated population areas because it can spread easier than, say, here, where there's not a lot of people for it to spread with. Um, but as he's hanging out in this barn, he finds a kind of an, an interesting medallion that really catches the doctor's attention. And we, we find out that it's actually a mental control device for prisoners. Yeah. So Which, it's like you use it to keep unruly prisoners in line on prison planets. Exactly. So that- it gives us our indication we've got some kind of prison break going on here yep. from an extraterrestrial place. And the doctor's plan, very sensibly, as he tells Nyssa, is they want to find the aliens, so that'll stop the plague, and he's mm-hmm. going to take them back to their home planet he's, or right. wherever else they want to go. Right, right. He's, he's, at this point, he just thinks that it's, um, you know, the, the plague might be like a disease that they're spreading or something. You know, it's not, we find out later that there's much more to it than just that, but um. But then they 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 do find some C cell batteries. I mean, power packs that uh, <laughs> that are uh, proof that these there were survivors from this this comet or fireworks were actually a, a crashed ship. Well, yeah, it, and it turns out that the the uh, barn where Mace is hanging out is actually on attached to the manor house where we opened. So of course they got to go. The doctor and and companions have to go check that out and yeah. uh, see what's going on there. And the doctor goes down this staircase that terminates oddly in a wall, and yep. um, and the doctor is very perplexed by this. It's, he tells Nissa that normally if you build a staircase, it goes somewhere, and mm-hmm. she says, well, as a rule, it does. And I'm thinking Tevia from Fiddler on the Roof, you know, the If I Were a Rich Man song, <laughs> I would build one staircase going nowhere just for fun. Um <laughs> But uh, but the doctor is amazed at this. And eventually, when the companions aren't there, he discovers that the wall or part of it is an illusion. Mm-hmm. And so we get this great shot when the companions come back and they're looking for him. The doctor just steps out through the wall. And yeah. I love Richard Mace's reaction to that. As a thespian, he's, he thinks this is a great illusion. How oh, do yeah. you do it? It's, he's thinking it's like stage magic. Yeah, I could I could make money off of this trick, you know. Yeah, it's understandable. Yeah, it's it's 
you know, again, for somebody like Richard Mises to be just, well, I guess if we saw an actual like holographic wall, we would be pretty amazed. We might have a better idea what it is, but cool volumetric display. How much did that cost? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So they get through this wall and there's a, it's a cellar that is full of soliton gas, which is basically techno babble that we've not heard of before or since, as far as I can tell. Yeah, um, and there's a thing that looks like an alien facehugger egg yep. in there that is breathing out the soliton gas. Apparently, the pteroleptals who we have yet to meet need to breathe that in Correct. order to breathe comfortably. They can breathe their atmosphere without the soliton gas, but I notice whenever they're like out of doors and away from a soliton egg, they mm-hmm. have like breathing problems, right. which is actually kind of subtly done in the episode. They don't point it out, but yeah, that guy's raspier than he normally is. Yeah, there's there's, there's a couple of points where the lead pteroleptal um, is outside, and he's you can see he's having difficulty breathing, having difficulty moving. I mean, it's affecting his you know affecting him quite a bit, kind of like it would be for us if we were in a low oxygen environment where yeah. we could still breathe and we would be fine, but we'd be difficult. Um, Apparently, soliton gas isn't poisonous to humans either, though. Um, yeah. But it is flammable, as the, the doctor points out later. Um, kind of like methane. Yeah. But there's also, also under, in this a cellar are a bunch of caged rats. Rats yeah. in cages. Creepy. We, yeah, pretty, pretty wild. Um, and then all of a sudden, the Grim Reaper shows up. Yeah. <laughs> And and as we later discover, it's the garish android that they've put in a robe and a skull mask to imitate the Grim Reaper to scare the locals. Yeah, which is actually a pretty effective, pretty effective idea. I think that that actually looked better for the android than the garish android it, it did. did. Yes, um, but the and- android's got a stun beam. You know, he's got a, a phaser with setting for stun, and and T- T- Tegan and Adric get stunned. Doctor Nissa and Mace retreat. So now we've got some companion separation. Mm-hmm. Um, which gets worse as this episode goes on. If you tried to map out this episode, it would I look know. like a, sp- a plate of spaghetti. It yeah, gets I, re- I gave really up. Messy. It's like <laughs> I, at one point we have almost every companion is on their own. Yeah, there's there's one point for a short time. There are four separate tracks, four separate storylines going on for a short time. So, Doctor Nissa and Mace get out of there. Tegan and Adric are taken to the pteroleptal's control room where we first see his hand you know the 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 fish scaly hand hitting buttons and hear him talking um and uh they they're interrogated about the doctor and of course adric spills the beans about the tardis because adric can't help but overshare and yeah i i like how at first they're trying to pretend they're nothing special about him and mm-hmm. the pteroleptal uses a rather deft piece of reasoning to to cut through that. He says, you are wearing synthetic garments made by a technology mm-hmm. not yet known on this planet. Right. And it's like, oh, man, our clothes gave us away. Yeah, <laughs> we're wearing polyester. <laughs> darn it. <laughs> <laughs> now, this isn't the only time that we get to see the pteroleptals, although it's very briefly. Um, they were part of the uh, the alliance to trap the 11th Doctor in the Pandorica. Mm-hmm. So they're yeah. one of the races that was involved in that. And then they also they, they do show up in a couple of novels and some big finish audio as well. So as classic who is concerned, this is the only time this race is ever seen or mentioned. Yeah, um, we should mention for the listener what they look like. So they're basically humanoid, but they're kind of reptilian and they have a head that's kind of it kind of reminds me of of a lizard head, mm-hmm. kind of like a Gila monster or something. 
Um, it's also vaguely fish-like. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So um, they, they do and, show and And their name seems to be an anagram of reptile, you know, right. teroleptile. So, yeah. Yep, exactly. Well, while that's while they're being uh, interrogated, uh, Dr. Nissa and Mace, they find this escape craft of the teroleptiles or the teroleptile. At this point, we only think there's one. We, we know later there's more, uh, but we find their escape craft. Um, and it's interesting. I, I like this where where Mace says something extended about how can it be bigger on the inside? Yes, this is great. And you think, oh, it must be, you know, a TARDIS. Dark says, oh, no, it's just buried. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, they and it's essentially the same reaction that Bill had to the TARDIS in the 12th Doctor's time when she first got in it and sees it's bigger on the inside. She assumes she's just walked into a new room. Yeah, she thought it was just like a hidden closet or something. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it it, it it's uh we find out that the teroleptiles, all the uh, controls that they use in their control room, uh, came from this craft. So they stripped it for parts, basically, so the thing won't be able to fly anymore. I'm assuming um, the robot did all the heavy lifting, literally. Yeah, exactly. Um, and at this point, the doctor's trying to figure out what to do about this this android that they just met. Um, and he, he thinks that it can be taken, a, shaken apart by a sonic booster from the TARDIS. Ooh, sonic gonna, device. Yeah. They're going to rattle it apart. Basically. I, I don't know. I've, I've met some, I've had some cars that you probably could have done that too, but that's another story. Yeah. Uh, um, as they're in there monkeying around, some villagers show up again. These villagers keep kind of cropping up out of nowhere. Yeah. And so the the reason they come, it's a poacher and a couple of other guys, and mm-hmm. they all are wearing these bracelets that are the same as the um, necklace that Richard Mace had been wearing, the mind control device yep. from the prison planet. They're all wearing them on their wrists, except they have the power packs in them. Mm-hmm. And so theirs are active, whereas Richard Mace's was not active because it didn't right. have a power pack. And the teroleptile is directing them to, like, go get the doctor and bring him back here. Exactly. Exactly. So they come and the doctor quickly locks the hatch at which one of them tries to use an axe to break down this, you know, science fiction, super metal door. And the and, and they do say, well, he might accidentally point it out. And the doctor says, well, he might hit the open door button with the axe exactly. or something. Might, yeah. act- might, actually, might actually figure out a way to get in. So. Uh, fortunately, however, there happens to be a, a ready uh, escape hatch on the other side of the, the the craft that is actually above ground, so they're able yeah. to blast that and escape. I love the escape hatch from the escape pod, and then they yeah. escape through it. Exactly. Well, it, it makes sense. If you've got an escape pod, you might have to be able to break your way out of it at some point, so that actually yeah. makes a lot of sense. And at this point, now we get to three separate tracks. Well, we've got Tegan and Adric at the manor house, and the they're- doctor sends nissa to the tardis to make the sonic thing to shake the robot apart and then he and richard mace go to find the miller who's the only person they've seen going to and from the manor house so they're going to go find the miller and talk to him and of course he's going to be wearing a bracelet too so that's not going to end well of course of course um meanwhile like 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 you said jimmy tegan adrick are over in the the manor house and they're put in this locked storeroom that Tegan figures out they can escape through a fanlight. And I'd never heard that term before, but it's basically, of course, as Tegan explains in the episode, it's an opening above the window to illuminate the corridor outside of it. You mm-hmm. know, I've, I've seen those windows like in old buildings. Uh, one of the seminaries I attended had those. Yeah, those transoms. were more for the air. 
transit. Yeah. yeah. But those are those were more for air than they were for light, because, of course, they were built after there was electric light and glass windows and glass windows. So, I mean, it wasn't as big an issue, but uh, they they end up escaping from that room after climbing out. And, of course, you know, Tegan's going to let Adric out. But by the time she gets back to the door, you know, kind of pokes around and gets back to the door and he's already climbing out. So, OK, whatever. And they uh, they end up in the back back in that main room of the manor house where Adric fights with the window just long enough to be able for him to escape, but not Tegan. She's recaptured. We now have each of the companions is off on their own. And the only person with the doctor is the thespian highwayman. Exactly. Exactly. So this is, this is where it gets really confusing because they're going back and forth. Also Tegan gets braceleted now. So for the second story in a row, Tegan gets mind controlled. Yep. Again, she gets mind controlled and she has to start doing some, so packing some small vials with a deadly blue fluid that we have no idea what it is. Uh, frankly, it looks like mm. toilet bowl cleaner. But <laughs> I wonder if it's connected to the plague. Could be. Or in the rats. The, you mean all the rats that the doctor and, and uh, Richard Mace find in the Miller's barn? Yeah. So so his cart, the Miller's cart is full of a bunch of these rats in, in cages. But, uh, you know, the, the Miller just ignores them. He just rides off with them. Uh, and, of course, before the doctor and Mace can leave, the villagers show up again and mm-hmm. threaten to behead the doctor and Mace. Yeah, because they think they're plague carriers. Yep. These these villagers are not under mind control. At Correct. least most of them aren't. Correct. But there is one that was the the headman of the village. Kind of, you guess you can call him what, like the mayor or whatever. The village shows yeah. up just in time to stop the execution and then lock up the doctor and Mace until they're ordered. He's ordered to bring them to the manor house, which yeah. doesn't happen. At least not by him. Meanwhile, back in the TARDIS, because we're intercutting between all these stories, Nyssa, for some reason, decides it's an opportune time to redecorate her bedroom. And she starts (laughs) starts moving stuff around for no apparent reason. Yeah, I mean, they they kind of explain that she needed more space to work. But yeah, it's just that's my first is like, okay, she's rearranging the furniture now. Yeah, she they she they at least should have given her a line like I need to clear some room so I can make the sonic thing. But right. they didn't give her such a line. So as far as the viewer knows, she's just redecorating, redecorating because she's got a few moments there. Um, but she's not alone for long because of course Adric had escaped from the manor house and now he joins her and then wants to turn wants to get Nissa to go with him to save Tegan. Not realizing the doctor is also in need of being saved and she wants rationally to say let's wait until the doctor returns because of course they can't face the android on their own they need all the help they can get um so i i like how the doctor finally engineers their own escape back at the mill um Mm -hmm. because you've got the headman there and the poacher is there and they're both wearing the bracelets and the doctor's solution is to snatch the power packs out of their bracelets Mm -hmm. and it's like wow that's it for a security device to keep control yeah. of prisoners that's a serious design flaw oh, just yeah. grab the battery and they're, and they're yeah. free yeah it's um, so funny because it, it looks literally like you took a c-cell and put it like in the middle of this little crystal and so all you had to do was just pull that battery pack and it shuts off yeah, yeah I, they, nobody, serious, somebody didn't think about that one yeah, serious design flaw there uh, and then the grit to enable them to escape the grim robot breaks into the mill and grabs the scythe that they were going to use to behead yep. the doctor and the actor. So now he's got the complete Grim Reaper image with yep. the scythe. Yeah, for that that one scene, you've got him holding it and holding it just right, like you always see it. it it's uh, it, you, you know that was done intentional. That, that, oh, there's yeah. no accident to that whatsoever. 
Um, but then, but the doctor and Mace are taken to the manor house and that's where they meet the Terraleptal for the first time. There's one point here where the doctor mentions the name Terraleptal and, you know, it's before he actually sees him. So, you know, it's one of those, of course you can, you know, head candidate of, well, he saw the bracelets and knew it was a Terraleptal bracelet or something like that. But yeah, but they don't really explain how he knew what they were. No. So that, that, uh, that was one of those usual writing oopses, but, uh, they, they go to the Terraleptal and we find out that the, the Terraleptal is a escape prisoner from the Tinklavik mines on Raga and can't return to his home planet because to be sent to those mines is a life sentence. Uh, and, and so the doctor says, well, I'll take you anywhere you want to go. Yep. And the Terraleptal is like, no, I don't want to go anywhere else. Um, and even though there have to be lots of great planets the doctor could take mm-hmm. him to, but the Terraleptal is irrationally. Uh, fixated on the idea of I'm going to wipe out I and my three buddies. Right. We're going to wipe out all life on Earth and take this planet over. Right. And that makes no sense because it's like, you know, there are lots of uninhabited, habitable planets I could take yeah. you to. You could take them over right now without all the genocide. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because the doctor comments how the Terraleptal and you hear kind of some of the, the phrases the Terraleptal uses where they're 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 fascinated by arts and sciences and by death. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's it's he's, I never understand how you could have both. Um, but they they I think, you know, obviously the Terraleptal wanted the finer things that you could still get on Earth, even at, you know, 17th century Earth um, without being stuck on some, you know, deserted planet somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Apparently, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. And- All, now, what I found interesting here, because the doctor now they didn't have this concept in the show at this point of fixed points in time. But the doctor, from a modern perspective, has to know there are lots of fixed points in time connected with Earth's future history. Exactly. So this Terraleptal genocide plan cannot work, right. but um, or would cause massive paradoxes if it did. Mm-hmm. And so, um, if if this episode could be rewritten in light of modern Who, right. it would be interesting to bring that in and say right. and have the doctor explain. One of the companions from the 21st century or 20th century could say, well, doctor, I know that this can't work, right? I mean, I'm from the future. And the doctor is like, time can be rewritten and there are these future fixed points. And if he messes with them, it'll cause an even worse cosmic catastrophe. Exactly. We have to stop this. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, but it, it, again, that is something that came in with new who that you really didn't see that in classic who, uh, any, any kind of concept like that. So the doctor gets manacled because, of course, he can override the mind control devices. The mace gets mind controlled. He gets one of the, the bracelets put on him and doctors locked away in a storeroom, which leads to a very tragic moment here in a few minutes. But before we get to that, Adric decides he's going to go looking for the doctor and gets captured by mind controlled villagers as Nissa watches immediately. Yeah, he yeah. just walks out of the TARDIS and gets immediately captured as Nissa is looking on. And then um, and and the nice thing is Nissa is tempted to go rescue Adric and decides to stay on mission. She was the one saying to him, we've got to stay on mission. We got to finish this Sonic thing for the doctor. Exactly. And she decides, nope, I'm not. Adric's yeah. just being an idiot. I'm going to stay on mission. She gets the door halfway open, goes, no, this is stupid. I better I got to get this finished and shuts yeah. the door again and goes back to work. 
And, and uh, I love how she's working on it. She whips out a can of ice. I, it's probably the British equivalent of it. But what it looks like is WD-40. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's, and, and she's spraying the WD-40 onto the Sonic thing. And I, where I came from in the South, there was this saying that you could fix anything with WD-40 and mm-hmm. duct tape. So mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for her to whip out some duct tape yeah. and stick it on the Sonic thing. If, if it moves as it shouldn't, duct tape it. If it, if it doesn't move and it should, WD-40. Right. Very familiar with that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tegan and Mace, they, they, go outside, they show outside and they're loading more, some of these boxes, these vials into a cart. So they're, they're doing the work of the Terraleptal so he doesn't have to. Um, and this is now, now the doctor is like, of course, the doctor is going to try to escape. So he's ruffling through his pockets. He finds his sonic screwdriver, string, and power packs. And a tragic moment in Doctor Who history occurs. Yeah. The Terraleptal destroys the sonic screwdriver, and the doctor mourns. Yeah. I feel as though you've just killed an old friend, he says. What's interesting about this, though, of course, you know, we've seen in New Who how many sonic screwdrivers get destroyed. And the next episode, he just grabs a new one right off the TARDIS console and keeps going. But we don't see the sonic screwdriver again until the 1996 movie. Right. Yeah, the, and actually the plan here was for him to go into another room of the TARDIS where he had a bunch of sonic screwdrivers and pick one off the shelf, mm-hmm. but John Nathan Turner said, no, I want it gone, yep. because they thought it had become too much of a solution to plot problems. He wanted the doctor to have to think his way through things instead of just waving the magic wand at him. Right. And this is why in Time Crash... The episode where the 10th Doctor meets Peter Davison's 5th Doctor, David Tennant is like holding a sonic screwdriver and and suggests that Peter Davison get his. And then he says, oh, wait, that's right. You went hands free. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so anyways, the, the sonic screwdriver is gone. It's it's destroyed. It's all coiled up in a big in a ball of death. And uh, Tegan is brought in by the Terraleptal with a caged rat that we find out has been poisoned with the plague. So, yeah. the, so he uses basically like a, a hypospray to, to infect the plague rat. And Tegan brings it in and starts to open it as Mace points the gun at the doctor. Yeah, so this is the alien plan revealed now. This is how they're going to do their genocide. They've got all these rats. They're infecting them with the blue liquid, and they're going to let them go in London. Yep. And I guess then it'll take years to spread over the earth by slow wind powered transport ships. Um, mm. But eventually the human race will die. Yeah. Um, well, the the Terraleptals apparently have long lifespans. I don't know. I guess. Yeah. But before Tegan can get it open, the doctor discharges one of the power packs with its cool little blue lightning effect and cut, hits the gun with it. Mace drops it. Doctor just grabs both their power packs pulls the batteries again and both of them pass out yeah and then which is a handy thing that happens to people when you yank the power pack they pass out momentarily yep exactly but then we find out that mace uh is able to uh pick lock so he gets the doctor's manacles released so and then the doctor shoots the door with the pistol and never misses and yet didn't hit the lock but somehow the door opened i guess yeah, aimed it just right, apparently, to the door's secret pressure point or something. Yeah, exactly. Me still thinks he picked it. But anyways, um, so as they're escaping, the Miller shows up, you know, the, and they don't get too far. But then they're able to get into the control room. Doctor's able to get into the control room, activate the Miller's bracelet, and then finally remove the control circuit for all the bracelets. 
Yeah. So now nobody is under the Teraleptal's control anywhere except yep. for the robot who the Teraleptal has sent to the TARDIS to mm-hmm. fly it. Yep. So he assumes the robot is going to figure out how to fly a TARDIS <laughs> and uh, take it to him. And that's part of his new plan now that he's he's um, now that the doctor has brought him a TARDIS. It's like, mm-hmm. we're going to wipe out everyone on Earth, we're going to rule the Earth like kings, and we're going to have a TARDIS we can go wherever we want with. Exactly. And come back to our base on Earth. Exactly. Um, but but what the uh, Teraleptal doesn't know is Nyssa is in there, and she's finally got the sonic device to working. So yep. she, when the android comes in, she puts on ear-muffling headphones, oh, yes. safe, safety first, yep. and turns on the device, and it does shake the robot apart right. and cause it to explode. Right, yeah. A- Adric was, obviously, Adric was taken away by the villagers. Well, when the control was lost, it, it doesn't state this explicitly in the episode. You just basically got to kind of think about it. Once the villagers were, control was lost to the villagers, Adric was able to escape from them. And as he's coming back, Nessa sees him, goes outside. Oh, Adric's here. And of course, the android's right there and prevents her from shutting the doors. Yeah. Also, the uh, the robot, I think, scared the villagers and some of them and the non-mind-controlled ones into running off. And that right. also helped Adric get away. Yep, exactly. And the, the and android ends up leaving a huge mess in the TARDIS, including blasting one of the doors. I'm sure the doctor wasn't pleased about that either. I know. The first thing the android does, it comes into the TARDIS and it shoots a door for no reason. There's Just like There's no one it's shooting at. It's not even trying to shoot into the next room because there's an apparently another barrier between it and where nissa is and yeah. so it just just let's just come into this and shoot for no reason just start blasting just because but they they get the, the android destroyed and uh yeah. adric moves the tardis to the manor house the sonic thing that nissa was using um it looks kind of like a big air compressor yeah you know and um and it's basically a giant immobile sonic screwdriver mm-hmm. if you think about it yep exactly exactly so but uh they get the tardis moved including a little percussive maintenance they're sitting there going no how would the doctor handle this oh yeah smack and the tardis <laughs> materializes which the doctor was not pleased about that they moved his tardis you know yeah he uh, he, he had a little bit of a, a snit about that but he's able to use the TARDIS to find where the Teraleptals are in London and fly and is able to accurately pilot the TARDIS right out in front of the building, basically. You yeah. know, again, one of those times where the TARDIS behaves itself. Yeah. Sure By didn't. the way, speaking of the doctor being grumpy about the companions flying the TARDIS, um, and I like how capable Nyssa is in this episode. Mm-hmm. And Adric, really, he's, he's also capable. He is able to fly the TARDIS. The doctor's kind of grumpy about that. And what I found interesting is the companions, even when the doctor is not there, comment on how he's being grumpy. Yeah. And and I think that may have been a deliberate writing choice on the part of the writers to counterpoint Peter Davison's boyishness. Right. Um, this is something that later happened in a kind of a different way with Matt Smith. Matt mm. Smith was the youngest guy to ever play the doctor in his time. But he deliberately played like an older man who right. has seen this life of tragedy. And so you're counterpointing the boyishness with some other element. And here, at this point in time, Peter Davison was the youngest man to ever play the doctor. And Correct. so I think they're using the grumpiness like, you know, an old man who's got creaky joints and isn't feeling mm-hmm. his best. 
um, can be a little grumpier. So they're using the grumpiness to counterpoint his boyishness. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's, I mean, it's effective. Cause like, like I said, when I was a, a kid, I thought him as kind of like the, the nice, quiet doctor. But as, as you watch, you know, as I watch him now, I see, no, he really was, he could be a little, little uh, aggressive, snippy. A little snippy. That's a good word for it at times. So they, uh, but they find the, find the, the, the base, which happens to be inside of a bakery in middle and middle of London. I love mm-hmm. the, the map they showed where they're doing the, 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 the search and it's like an old school 17th yeah. century map. It's not like a Google maps or something like that. Um, yeah. But they, they, they get in there and the doctor lights a torch. And the terileptals are smoking their big hookah thing to get the soliton gas. Yep, exactly. But the doctor comes in and doesn't realize there's two terileptals waiting for him, uh, waiting for them. And they come in and they get jumped and there's a fight and the fire breaks out. And yep, the energy because weapon. the the doctor drops a torch onto the hay. The yep. doctor's the one who starts the fire. Exactly, exactly. And he he doesn't have a good record for that. But uh, there's a the energy weapon that the terileptals holding the lead terileptals holding. Uh, it starts to overheat and eventually will explode just as the doctor and companions escape the building. You know, imagine the scenes in the movies as they're running out of the building and everything goes up in in flames. Also during the fight. You know, they have this rifle and Tegan takes the rifle and tries, it, I would say pistol whip, but it's a rifle. She tries to yep. rifle whip one of the terileptals, but she's like hitting it with the barrel of yeah. the rifle. <laughs> and it's like, I don't think you know how this works. If you really yeah. want to pistol whip someone, you don't use the barrel. You use the, the, the stock. stock. Yeah, use the butt <laughs> of the, the gun, not the barrel of the gun. Um, but. Either, either way, they're able to escape, and we see as the fire is growing, we see the terileptals just burning. I mean, it's rather graphic, mm-hmm. actually, for the time of the mm-hmm. episode. And the doctor and companions rush into the TARDIS as May sticks around to help fight the fire, quote-unquote, meaning mm-hmm. make sure that any record of the terileptals burn up. And the companions ask the doctor, why didn't they stay to help the fu- with the fire? And the doctor says... The fire should be allowed to run its course. Yeah, because he has a feeling that's the case. Because it was the Great Fire of London in 1666. The doctor yeah. started this Great Fire of London. Uh, and he doesn't have a great record of fire because, as we talked about last week, the first started- doctor influenced Nero to burn Rome. And then the fifth yeah. doctor started the Great Fire of London. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and as we end the episode, we then pull out on a sign reading Pudding Lane, which is mm-hmm. where the Great Fire of London broke out in a bakery. Yep. Um, but I like how they don't tell us that. They expect the audience to know that. Correct. And so I can just imagine, I like the subtlety well, of not just hanging a lampshade on it. And I can I imagine like for kids, they would be going, what's going on here? And then their parents would explain yeah. for them. Well, I wonder if, you know, in, in those are, you know, obviously our, our listeners over in the UK could, could help us out with this, but, you know, like here in the United States, you know, talk about Mrs. O'Leary's cow. Right. And the great Chicago fire, you know, I wonder if it's the same kind of idea that they would know, oh, Pudding Lane. Yeah. That's where the great fire of London started. So, and as Jimmy said, that's how the episode ends. So is there anything else you want to mention, Jimmy? No, I think it was a fun episode. It um, was. It's a it's a historical that fits the modern historical formula of okay, we're in the past on Earth, but we've got aliens. Um, <laughs> then I'm looking forward to our next fifth Doctor story, which we won't get to for a while because we got to cycle through the other Doctors. Yep. But 
Um, but I'm looking forward to the next one, which is the final true historical in the series, Black Orchid. Oh, yes. It's a two-parter that's set in the past on the Earth, and ha- it's set in like the early, 19th, the early 20th century. Um, and there's no aliens. There's no sci-fi. It's just a historical yep. drama, and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's another good episode. So as we wrap up, I want to again uh, thank you for listening to the Secrets of Doctor Who and all our all our podcasts. You know, we we appreciate your 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 support of our podcast. You know, listening to our podcast, sharing them, commenting on YouTube and Facebook, liking all our all the ways that you can show how much you enjoy our podcasts. I also want to encourage you to uh, take a look at our Patreon campaign at sqpn.com/give. Uh, it's a way that you can help us keep these podcasts going. You know, we, we enjoy doing them, but it does cost money. To keep them on the air, so to speak. Um, especially, I want to thank those who are supporting our Patreon campaign, uh, especially John G., Edward C., Ryan R., Mindy M., and Daniel C. If you'd like to join them in our camp- campaign, again, you can go to sqpn.com slash give and click the Patreon link. Once again, thank you for joining us, and, and thank you, Jimmy, for coming. My pleasure, Father Corey. And glad to be here as well, and thank you for listening to uh, Secrets of Doctor Who. And remember, you call yourself a Time Lord, a broken clock keeps better time than you do. At least it's accurate twice a day, which is more than you ever are. Ryan, this is going to be fun.